Hello there, and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grimm tale. My name is Matthew Hughes, and with me on this journey is my co-host, Mr. Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading. The Three Sons of Fortune! So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a... Grim Reading! A father once called his three sons before him, and he gave to the first a cock, to the second a scythe, and to the third a cat. I am already aged, said he. My death is near, and I have wished to take thought for you before my end. Money I have not, and what I now give you seems of little worth, but all depends on your making a sensible use of it. Seek out a country where such things are still unknown, and your fortune is made. <laughs> wow. Okay. Got it? Got the picture? A cock, a cock aside than a cat. Yeah. So they've got to go to countries where those, like, <laughs> take a cat to a country where there's no got cats. Got it. That's it. That's wow. dad's advice. That's his last advice. That's good advice. That's good advice. Also, I'd want the cat out of those oh. three. Just saying. Okay. Well, we'll see if that was the wiser choice. <laughs> see if I eat my words. Or... <laughs> After the father's death, the eldest went away with his cock. But wherever he came, the cock was already known. In every town, he saw from a long distance a cock, sitting upon the steeples and turning round with the wind, and in the villages he heard more than one crowing. No one would show any wonder at the creature, so that it did not look as if he would make his fortune by it. People are not interested, Adam. No, I, I feel cock. like it's been made quite difficult, really. You know, his dad giving him that. It's like quite a common thing. He's definitely going to struggle to get rid of it, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, 100%. At last, however, it happened that he came to an island where the people knew nothing about cocks and did not even understand how to divide their time. They certainly knew when it was morning or evening, but at night, if they did not sleep through it, not one of them knew how to find out the time. Because they don't, they don't have cockerels crowing. I'm really confused. What? Once it gets to night, they can't. They don't know the time. Because what? That makes no sense. Look, said he. What a proud creature! It has a ruby red crown upon its head and wears spurs like a knight. It calls you three times during the night at fixed hours, and when it calls for the last time, the sun soon rises. But if it crows by broad daylight, then take notice, for there will certainly be a change of weather. Oh. The people were well pleased. For a whole night they did not sleep, and listened with great delight as the cock at two, four, and six o'clock loudly and clearly proclaimed the time. They asked if the creature were for sale, and for how much he wanted for it. As much gold as an ass can carry, answered he. A ridiculously small price for such a precious creature, they cried unanimously, <laughs> and willingly gave him what he had asked. I mean, ass full of gold for the cock, yeah. It makes That's sense. Great. And it's because it can tell the time at night. Yeah, 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 at 2, 4, and 6 yes. a.m. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows a cockerel will crow at 2, 4, and 6 a.m. 2, 4, and 6. Okay, you've got, you've got the picture. I've, got, I've okay. got the gist of that, yeah. When he came home with his wealth, his brothers were astonished. And the second said, 
Well, I will go forth and see whether I cannot get rid of my scythe as profitably. But it did not look as if he would, for labourers met him everywhere, and they had scythes upon their shoulders as well as he. At last, however, he chanced upon an island where the people knew nothing of scythes. <laughs> That's lucky again. Was this the same island? <laughs> did, did this island have a wonderful cock just sat in the middle of it? Maybe. Could be. <laughs> but imagine an island, Adam, without scythes. Um, what do you do come harvest time? What would you do? Starve? Well, when the corn was ripe there, they took cannon to the fields and shot it down. Now, Sorry, what? Now, this was rather an uncertain affair. Many shot right over it. Others hit the ears instead of the stems and shot them away, whereby much was lost. And besides all this, it made a terrible noise. Of course it makes a terrible noise. Using cannons? <laughs> Using cannons, Adam. Oh, it's harvest time. Get the cannons. Oh, we've got cannons. We've invented cannons. Yeah. <laughs> Have we got a side though? No, that's not been invented yet. Don't be crazy. <laughs> What marvellous feat of technological engineering <laughs> is this? What is this? A knife? A curved knife? Attached to some wood? All we have is the humble cannon. <laughs> Makes no sense. We've developed gunpowder and sophisticated <laughs> weaponry. No size, though. <laughs> ah, the corn is now ready. Get the cannon! <laughs> that just shook. Imagine firing your cannon at a field full of corn. Mummy, are we being invaded? No, it's harvest time, dear. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> we always uh, lose a few sort of uh, villages in harvest. It's just it's par for the course. Collateral damage. So it, it's come harvest time, it's a mess. So our guy, the son, he set to work and mowed it down so quietly and quickly that the people opened their mouths with astonishment. They agreed to give him whatever he wanted for the scythe, and he received a horse laden with as much gold as it could carry. Oh, wow. So That's impressive. I, I, can a horse carry more gold well, than mass? Yeah. Really interesting question that will not be answered at any point in this story. Oh, I was really hoping you would have some stats for me. I there. think the, the headline is, he's done good and he's rich, as is, as is the eldest brother. So yeah. now, the third brother wanted to take his cat to the right man. Oh. He fed just like the others. So long as he stayed on the mainland, there was nothing to be done. Every place had cats, and there were so many of them that newborn kittens were generally drowned in the ponds. Oh, come on now. <laughs> you must have known how I'd react to that. I didn't write That's this. That's awful. So he's in the same position as the others. At last... He sailed over to an island, and it luckily happened that no cats had ever yet been seen there, and that the mice had got the upper hand so much so that they danced upon the tables and benches whether the master were at home or not. Oh, <laughs> this mouse doesn't care if you're home. I was going to do a jig on the kitchen table. <laughs> They're doing the can-can. <laughs> hey. We don't care if you're home. I love it. The people complained bitterly of the plague. The king himself in his palace did not know how to secure himself against them. Mice squeaked in every corner and gnawed whatever they could lay hold of with their teeth. But now the cat began her chase and soon cleared a couple of rooms, and the people begged the king to buy the wonderful beast for the country. The king willingly gave what was asked, which was a mule laden with golden jewels, and the third brother came home with the greatest treasure of all. Wow. So, a mule with jewels beats an ass with gold. <laughs> it's what we're saying. 
The mule jewel. We got we got gold and jewels on the mule. The mule jewel. Oh, it's got oh the mule yeah, jewel yeah. carries gold and jewels. Yeah. It's a golden jewel meal. <laughs> yeah, okay. Gotcha. Glad, glad to see you're zeroing in on the important stuff here, Adam. Yeah, yeah, it's important to get these things right. Definitely. I'm just really sad, though, because he's left the cat behind. Well, shall we check in with the cat? Shall we see what the cat's up to? Oh, oh. I didn't realise that was an option. Yes, please. You might have thought that's the end. Brothers, all happy? No. Yeah, all happy. Set for life. Well, back on the island, the cat made herself merry with the mice in the royal palace and killed so many that they could not be counted. But at last she grew warm with the work and thirsty. So she stood still, lifted up her head, and cried, Mew, mew. When they heard this strange cry, the king and all his people were frightened, and in their terror ran all at once out of the palace. Sorry, they're scared of a cat meowing. Yeah. Well, because to them it's a strange cry. Never heard it, yeah. Then the king took counsel what was best to be done. At last it was determined to send a herald to the cat and demand that she should leave the palace, or if not, she was to expect that force would be used against her. The councillors said, We would rather let ourselves be plagued with the mice, for to that misfortune we are accustomed, than give up our lives to such a monster as this. All it's done is meowed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A noble youth was sent to ask the cat whether she would peaceably quit the castle, but the cat, whose thirst had become still greater, merely answered, Mew, mew. The youth understood her to say, Most certainly not, most certainly not, (laughs) and took this answer to the king. Oh, he speaks cat. Then, said the councillors, she shall yield to force. No. Cannon were brought out, and the palace was soon in flames. It's not harvest time. (laughs) And the palace was soon in flames. When the fire reached the room where the cat was sitting... She sprang safely out of the window. Yay! But the besiegers did not leave off until the whole palace was shot down to the ground. The end. That's the end. Yeah, that's the end. (laughs) (laughs) The whole palace was exploded. (sighs) Yeah, man. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it ends with (laughs) an island full of people destroying a palace because they're scared of a cat. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay. Let's get on board with this. (laughs) That's really weird. That is quite, it's quite odd, yeah. It's an odd mm. story, that one. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin. It's not like a story we've had before. Mm. It, it's like... It's got three brothers, each with something different. It feels like, oh, familiar territory. Yeah. But there's no real jeopardy, because they just go and do a deal and get what they want, yeah. and they, each one's fine. Yeah, yeah. And then we never hear from them again, because they're fine. And then it's like, P.S., the island with the cat. They didn't get on with the cat. They tried to kill the cat, but the cat got away. Uh, the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think um, it doesn't circle back for a nice ending. No, not at all. Because normally it would be like you follow the brothers 
and then they come back and they live happily ever after, kind of having gone on an adventure. But the emphasis totally shifts from the brothers. Yeah. And it's it becomes about the the folly of the mice islanders, right? Yeah. It just completely forgets the brothers. But I, yeah. I kind of like that in a way. I think it's kind of cool because, as you say, it's something we haven't really seen. But do you do you think perhaps it feels a little bit artificial or it feels a bit jarring? It's like you're you're in a story, but then you're suddenly in another story. Is that kind of what you're thinking? It w- was a bit jarring. Yeah. Because yeah. we don't catch up with the scythe. <laughs> Where's the scythe getting on? One of them cuts themselves with a the scythe and they're like, oh, yeah. get the cannon. Ah. Shoot the scythe. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. Well, one of the parts I liked about it in particular was the the extra little details that it had. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just say that there were cats everywhere. It says there were so many that the kittens were drowned in the pond. Yeah, that's a bit <laughs> of unnecessary detail. And then you've also got that they... It's not that they, they struggle to harvest. It's that they use cannons. Use cannons, To harvest yeah. their crops. I mean, that's preposterous. Who dreamed that up? <laughs> and you're right. In terms of technological sophistication, <laughs> surely scythe comes before cannon. I would guess so. Right? I'm not a historian, but I think that's probably true. If you can make a cannon, you can make a scythe. <laughs> I'm going to say, I can't make either. <laughs> but I reckon you can jam, uh, jam a bit of metal onto the end of a stick. I think so, and sharpen it yeah. a bit. Yeah. Before you invent gunpowder and the cannon. I mean, no no offence if they can't do that. I don't want to... I think out of all the islands, that's the dumbest one. Wow. <laughs> That sounds like a reality TV show. <laughs> Dumb Island. <laughs> I would oh, watch dear. that. Um, well, you you also picked up on the you know the whole cockerel crowing thing. Didn't really make yeah. sense and made no sense. Yeah, it said that they can't tell the time at night because it can't say they can't tell the time at day because obviously the sun goes through the sky. But it says if they happen yeah. to be awake at night, they can't tell the time. Uh, and then the the cockerel crowed at two, four, and six. I, I had a quick browse online. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. As far as I could tell, if you're the proud owner of a cockerel, please correct me if I'm wrong, but cockerels only crow at a set time just before dawn. They're not like church bells going off at like quarter no. hour intervals. They might crow for other reasons, like they're excitable or scared or whatever. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. But they don't crow at two, four, and six. No, they they definitely do not. Yeah. I mean, I lived near someone who last summer had a young cockerel, and it would crow rand like frequently throughout the night, ah. uh, random times, and it did keep me awake. But is that one of your tenant farmers in your estate in your castle? Estate? It is. Uh, yeah. He he uh, he no longer works there. You executed um, him. <laughs> I was trying not to say it. It's the old drown in a lake situation. <laughs> I thought this is for the kittens. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, you seem a little sort of not put out by the story, but kind of like, what? What are you doing? I'm just a bit, yeah, a bit confused, I think. I, I try to have a think about, you know, what what is it about? Because it's not the normal journey of the three brothers coming home successful. No. And it's about the family or whatever or some self-development because it kind of leaves all that alone. Yeah. Hence the confusion here couple of ideas i thought maybe there's something about the fear of the unknown it's ludicrous how scared these people are but it's because it's unknown to them so perhaps it's teaching us not to just be yeah. afraid of something 
Maybe. Likewise, knowledge is power, therefore. True, true. And similarly, appreciate it's about appreciating the value of things. So these are basically everyday, inane objects that to you feel worthless, but to people who don't have them, they're completely life-changing. Yeah. So maybe there's something... Because of the value is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, and the fear of the unknown, like the image of a cat meowing is quite a innocuous image the idea of anyone being scared mm, of that mm-hmm. is sort of laughable isn't it yeah yeah it's interesting i mean i guess we don't really get any long-term feedback on the islands with the cock or the sign no. i assume they're not <laughs> like the guy doesn't go away and then someone looks at the side and goes <laughs> <laughs> ow it's spiky <laughs> <laughs> right get the cannons <laughs> Um, and uh, in the Cockrell Island, they're like, Could somebody shut that thing up for the love of God. <laughs> right, get the cannons. I don't care what time it is at night, I want to sleep. <laughs> uh, get the cannons. Cannons <laughs> for everything. <laughs> Need help cutting your dinner, darling? Cutting your steak? Cannon! <laughs> right. Get out of the way. <laughs> I'll sort this out. Can't tie up your shoes, darling. Cannon! <laughs> mm. Those are just some uh, thoughts I had that perhaps, you know, these things are mundane to you, but they're really valuable to someone else. Yeah, there's a market for everything. There's a, mar- there's a market for everything. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. <laughs> just turning things back to economics, yeah. With my dual mule. <laughs> yeah, there's one good thing to take out of this. It's, it's the phrase dual mule. <laughs> dual mule. <laughs> The history of the story. In German, this story is called Die Drei Glückskinder, which I believe should be translated as The Three Children of Fortune. Oh, okay. So I think sometimes in sons. English it is The Three Children. In our book, it's Three Sons. Yeah. Now, according to one researcher, apparently the earliest recorded story we have where someone gives a cock, a scythe, and a cat, that whole concept, mm-hmm. is from 1535 in a wow. text by a French writer called Nicolas de Troyes. So we can trace that idea back at least as early as the 16th century. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Brothers Grimm's notes on this story, they make mention of a 13th century Latin chronicle which features a story of a poor man who gets ahead by selling cats to somewhere where they've never been seen. Right. So the Grimm's at least trace that back to the 13th century in their research. Okay. And the, in that one, it's specifically selling cats. Yeah. Interesting. In their notes, the Grimm's also claim that they collected this story from Paderborn, which basically means that it comes from the von Haxthausen family, who were an aristocratic family from Bockendorf, I think it's pronounced, which is now a part of North Rhine-Westphalia. And they collected loads of stories for the Grimm's. So Paderborn means von Haxthausen's. Right, okay, it's code. Yeah. So it's got some fairly deep roots, the nuts and bolts of this story, mm-hmm. back to the 13th and 16th centuries. But the Grimm's also, in their notes, sharp as ever, pick up the most interesting part of this whole shebang. They write, 
Whittington and his cat is an English story of the same kind. Yeah. Adam's nodding. Yeah. yeah, boy. Love Here it. Here we go. <laughs> English cat story, please. Dick Whittington. Ring any bells? It rings all the bells. Oh, yeah. Which bells? Ding, dong, ding, dong. Um, I don't actually... <laughs> I don't I mean, okay, know okay. which bells. Dick Whittington and his cat. Yeah. He's going to London where the streets are paved with gold. That's or the one. like that. That's... That's all I remember. And he's got a cat. And he's got a handkerchief tied on a stick over his shoulder. That's the image I've got That's in my head. That's the image, yeah. That's a yeah. real classic image. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think, to be honest with you, before looking into this, that's why I like to be prepared before we hit record. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I know the name and I know the cat and the little stick with a little bundle on the end. But I didn't yeah. actually really know the story. But it's very famous. I'd say, you know, most oh, people is, would know... Yeah. The name Dick Whittington, at least. Yeah. I don't know how well known it is outside of the country, however, mm-hmm. outside of the UK. So, any listeners from abroad, I don't know if this will mean anything got to no you. No idea what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But I think we can't we can't leave Richard Whittington alone here, Adam. I think we need to explore because this is a massive part of uh, folk and fairy tales in uh, England. So, shall we shall we dive into Dick Whittington? Of course, we should. It's time to plug those holes in your knowledge, Adam. Yes. So as we said, the story of Dick Whittington and his cat is a well-known English story from English fairy tales, legends, and pantomime as well. Right. It's basically the tale of an impoverished young guy with the help of some feline assistants. He becomes the thrice Lord Mayor of London. Right. I'll sum it up quickly for you. Uh, the kind of the most well-known version of the story. Let's do this. Dick Whittington and his cat. Dick Whittington was a poor orphan boy. And one day he set off for London to seek his fortune after hearing that the streets of London were paved with gold. Ah, there we go. already alluded to. But he gets to London and he discovers that the streets are not paved with gold. He wanders around and he gets tired and hungry. He's in a bad way. And he ends up falling asleep at the door of a merchant's house. A man by the name of Fitzwarren. Now, on returning home, Fitzwarren sees this homeless boy in his doorway. And he takes pity on him. And employs him as kitchen porter in his household. So he's given Dick a job. However, the cook, Mrs. Cicely, I think. Cicely. She started bullying him really badly. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not, not very nice. This isn't nice. And uh, Dick slept in the attic uh, where he was constantly tormented by rats and mice who just scurry all over him at night. So eventually, with his wages that he'd earned, he bought a cat, which then immediately sorted out the rats and mice problem. Nice one. So so he's living with Fitzwarren. One day, Fitzwarren, he has a merchant ship called the Unicorn. And it's ready to sail, and as uh, per household tradition, he asks everyone in the house to venture something on the trade mission. You know, give, give, give us something to go sell abroad. And Dick's like, well, I've, I've only got my cat. No. Fitzwarren's like, brilliant, stick him on board. Come on, Dick. No. So that's happened, and life carries on, but the bullying of the cook gets out of hand. It's too much, and mm. he decides to flee. He says, I've had it with London. I'm out of here. However, as he's walking out of the city, he 
gets to Holloway, where he then heard the bow bells are ringing, and it sounded Ooh. sounded to Dick like they were saying, "Turn again, Whittington, thrice Lord Mayor of London." <laughs> that's that's a very specific sound for bells to make. That doesn't sound too bad. And he, uh, being thrice Lord Mayor of London, and he turned back and went back to Fitzwarren's before anyone realised he'd gone. Meanwhile, over the seas, the merchant ship has landed in North Africa on the Barbary coast, as it says. Wow. The king of the land greets the captain and uh, invites him to a meal. So they, he goes to this big banquet, the captain, and then a load of uh, rats and mice swarm in and just smother the feast. And the king, the king just shrugs and says, sorry, mate, there's not much we can do about that. That happens all the time. But the captain... Ah, oh, have I got a solution for yeah, you? Yeah, he goes, I've got just the thing for you. Brand new. I call this the Cat 3000. <laughs> sort out all your rodent problems. Fresh from London. New cat. <laughs> um, so he runs to the ship, brings back the cat. The cat comes in, chases the rodents off. The king is astonished, and he paid ten times the amount for the cat than for all the other goods on the ship. Wow. The captain then returns to London with the good news. Fitzwarren then summons Dick. He says, sit down, I've got some news for you. Are you ready? You're going to be a rich man, Dick. And Dick says, cut it out. Don't, don't tease me. Come on. <laughs> don't, yeah, come on. I've had a tough day. And he says, I'm, I'm not teasing you, and it's all yours. You deserve it. So, yeah, Dick Whittington's a rich man, and he marries Alice Fitzwarren, the daughter of the merchant, and he eventually became mayor of London, as the bells foretold, and he built Newgate Prison for Criminals. The end. Oh, oh isn't <laughs> that lovely? He built, oh, that's he sweet. built a really unpleasant institution <laughs> where people were treated horrendously. Yeah. And that's, that's the story of uh, Dick Whittington. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, I wasn't expecting you to go through that today. I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, okay. Well, you can imagine one complaint I might have. Uh, the, the cat's been left in North Africa with the king. Yeah. I think yeah. he's all right. Is he all right, though? He was happy in London. <laughs> was he? Like, like a I bloke bought a cat. It's his cat. Yeah. And they've got a bond. It's like, meow. Curl up on his bed at night. Like, it's a cute little cat. All in your head. And it's like, yeah, go That's on a ship. We're going to sell you to an African king. The cat's like, you what? You <laughs> what? I'm di- I thought we were friends, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you're dead to me. I love this is all happening in your head, Adam. It's uh, not real. But, but I, th- I think Dick's happy. I don't think he's... he's um, <laughs> no, he's fine. Yeah, he's all right. I think the cat's fine as well. Okay, as long as the cat's fine. I think fine. the cat is treated like royalty. Well, that's true, because they're probably amazed by its rodent-killing powers. Yeah. Um, also, where's Holloway? Where's Holloway? It's in London. Yeah, I know, but... Bow, but but Bow is East London. In my head, Holloway is South West London. I no, no, Holloway is North London. But I think the Bow Bells are actually in the city, in the city of London. They're in a church oh, right. in the city of London. It is a bit confusing. They're not actually in Bow. No, Bow's East London. I think they are yeah. in, in in the city of London. <laughs> okay, and right. I think at that time, Holloway even would have been the countryside. So now Holloway is almost central London. But right, back then, but like, it would have okay. you would have been pretty much out of uh, the the big smoke, the metropolis. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, yeah, the big city. Yeah, back then, back then, I haven't even given you a place or a time. I've no, given no, you a place. Yeah, whereabouts in history? Yeah, back then. Okay. Today in London, 
The Whittington Stone marks the place where Dick supposedly stopped and heard the bells. And it's also really? next to the Whittington Stone pub. Oh, wow. I mean, confusingly, from our conversation we just had, I think that's in Highgate or Islington. Well, that's a totally different area. But, you know, regardless, when uh, all this uh, craziness in the world is over, Adam, should we hop on our horses and head to London Town? For a pint in the old Whittington or whatever it's called? Yeah, would you be up for that? I'd be so up for that. It's a date. Let's do it. Wait, I, okay. Are they suggesting that he was real? Well, well, well. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the kind of moment where you're glad I asked the question? You're right where I want you, Adam. (laughs) You followed my trail of breadcrumbs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you have once tried to convince me that Tom Thumb was real. (laughs) So let's see what you do with Mr. Whittington. Oh, challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) The most surprising part about about (laughs) Dick Whittington... Yeah. Is that there was a real thrice Lord London mayor called Dick Whittington. No way. Way. What? Dick Whittington served as London mayor from 1397 to 99, again from 1406 to 07, and finally from 1419 to 1420 during the reigns of King Henry IV and King Henry V. Wow. It was a man called Dick Whittington, who was thrice Lord Mayor of London. His wife was also called Alice Fitzwarren. Whoa. <laughs> oh, mind blown. This is all real. And the cat? There is no evidence, sadly, that oh. he made his fortune from a cat or that he even owned a cat. Right. In fact, he was already from wealthy Gloucestershire gentry. He wasn't a poor boy okay. who got rich through selling a cat. Right, okay, he was already yeah. rich. But I, I th- I'm pretty sure he was renowned for his civic works. Um, so he did things like he built hospitals. And wow. incredibly, the real Dick Whittington established a charity trust, which he left uh, his fortune to when he died, which is still in existence. It's a registered no charity. No way. It's called Charity of Sir Richard Whittington. And it still exists 600 years later. And what later. do they do? I think they, like, look after nursing homes or something now. Oh, that's nice. In, in, the, like, in the greater London area, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're a real-life man called Dick Whittington, yeah. who makes his way to London, becomes thrice Lord Mayor, mm-hmm. and launches a charity, creates hospitals and all of this yeah, stuff... Yeah. Would he be happy with uh, then a legend entering popular circulation mm. which ends with him building a prison? <laughs> Wait, that, surely that's less good. Well, I can't speak for Dick, but speaking for myself, if 600 years later people knew me as like the poor boy who went to London and became thrice Lord Mayor when he heard the bow bells, that's I'd, good. Be, I'd be pretty happy with that's that. That's good. And the cat stuff... You know, medium, but... I don't think you think Dick Whittington, you think prison and gallows. I will now. Thanks to grim reading. I think he sold his cat and he built a prison. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dick Whittington, the story about a man who sold a cat and built a prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... that's Gloucestershire, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear.
So somehow this real-life mayor got mixed up in the legend, the story of Dick Whittington and his cat. Mm. So that's the life of the real uh, Dick mm. Whittington. The earliest surviving record of the story of Dick Whittington is a ballad from 1612 written by one Richard Johnson. The very same Richard Johnson who also wrote The History of Tom Thumb, the earliest document we have of Tom Thumb. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Does this make me smell a rat or... (laughs) I've got a cat for that. You know, know, like, when someone's just managed to get their hands on too many, like, historical documents (laughs) and you go, well, there's no smoke without fire. I think you're up to some dodgy stuff. Is he just making this stuff up? I I think Richard Johnson... He, he was just into this sort of stuff. He loved it. Yeah. And to be honest, I found a lot of times researching Grim Reading, it's in the 1600s that we get a lot of stuff. I don't know what was happening then. I guess it was the sort of cultural... It was the Renaissance. So yeah. we have a lot of records from that time. You're out of the Dark Ages. The story probably goes way further back, but we, you know, records start... Suddenly it just enters the yeah, yeah. record books. But it's the same guy who wrote Tom wow. Thumb. Crazy. Dick Johnson. So that's the earliest like surviving version we have, that ballad, so in mm. song form. The first prose version we have as a kind of story is from 1656. The famous and remarkable history of Sir Richard Whittington, which was likely written by uh, the playwright Thomas Hayward. And from there it developed uh, and kind of arrived in its final shape in the late 18th century, okay. which is the one I just told you, really. Right. The first ever pantomime of Dick Whittington was supposedly staged in 1814. I saw this written, right? However, I I followed the source and it seems a bit suspect to me. Okay. I, try, I couldn't quite find the primary source of that. But that but that's interesting because I I can't remember if it made the edit or not, but in a recent episode we sort of pontificated as uh, as to the how old pantomimes were because we thought of it as a maybe at best sort of 100-year-old tradition. Yeah. But it sounds like could go back way longer. That was in the Puss in Boots episode, Adam. Right. And I'm glad you vaguely remember it because <laughs> when I when I first mentioned that Puss in Boots, the Puss in Boots pantomime was staged in Covent Garden in 1817, your jaw dropped to the floor. Yeah. And I said in the episode in Puss in Boots that I'm sure there's a podcast on the history of pantomime out there. Turns out there isn't. <laughs> oh, no, you're kidding me. There's a podcast for everything. But there probably should be because uh, I've uh, dipped my toes into these uh, waters, Adam. And they are surprisingly fascinating waters. So would you like to hear a brief history of pantomime? (laughs) Yes, please. I thought this was up your alley. It's right in my alley. Okay, all right. Well, here we go. A brief history of pantomime. (laughs) Grim reading. We're giving you everything you need. Fairy tales and a history of pantomime. We've got you covered. Yeah, got anything else you need us to cover? Just hit us up. We'll uh, we'll sort you out. Well, first of all, my impression is pantomime is a peculiarly British form of theatre. Maybe Irish as well. I think you get it in Ireland. As far as I'm aware, yeah. How would you how would you define for our uh, non UK listeners pantomime? Well, it's it's associated with Christmas time, and it's a sort of very sort of camp theatre. Uh, experience it's mm-hmm. like a very heightened or like a farce mm-hmm. uh, so it's like a play in the theater but there's lots of audience interaction um and it's it's very 
funny and sort of yeah chaotic totally and chaotic, you yeah. often get famous celebrities acting that's in it. true yeah it's always, it's almost like a sign that your career's not gone very yeah. well in the normally UK. catch you on the downward trajectory <laughs> at the end of your career end up an old panto i mean they're, they're they're like they're essentially aimed at children ostensibly but really they're kind of for the whole family and they're like packed with innuendo and yeah. uh, there's lots of gender swapping as well that's right. a big part yes. of it it's it's basically got loads of specific conventions around it. It's a very very specific type of musical comedy theatre. And often pantomimes are fairy tales, which haven't really occurred to me. I guess I'd not realised that. So they're actually quite a big part of the story of fairy tales and the sort of spread of fairy tales in, in society, which hadn't really occurred to well, me. Well, that's interesting. It, no, it's interesting that, if that's true, that the fact that they've only come up now yeah, in a, in a podcast <laughs> about fairy tales... Yeah, well, we're fully grown men and like we don't. Yeah, I haven't seen a pantomime since I was a child. I don't think we are fully grown men. No, that is true, yeah. actually. <laughs> when you put it like that. <laughs> pantomime this year? Yeah, let's do it. We've got a lot of dates in the calendar now. Okay. Oh, yeah, we do. Okay, so a brief history of pantomime. Go. At its most essential, it's a form of British folk theatre that evolved out of and marries together many different forms of theatre and performance throughout the ages. The word pantomime comes from the French pantomime or pantomime, which in turn comes from the Latin pantomimus, which in turn comes from the Greek word pantomimos, which essentially means imitator of all. So it has its whole right. it has its whole life okay. in the ancient world. We're going to fast forward somewhat to the British panto. The most obvious influence on pantomime is the Commedia dell'arte. This was an Italian theatrical genre from the 16th century. So the Commedia dell'arte were comedy performances that were put on by traveling troops of actors. It was made up of stock characters, notably Harlequin which might make you think of Batman. Scaramouche. Might make you think of Queen. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And Punch. Of, uh, Punch and Judy. Punch and Judy. This is where Punch and Judy comes from as well. Wow. That's a, that's a rabbit hole. That's, that's, that's the call of the siren to the side, but we're not yeah, going to yeah. jump off the ship. Not going to talk about Punch and Judy. Okay. Okay. So basically, um, this theatre style through the travelling troops arrived in merry old England. And then... It developed in the early 1700s into what became known as the Harlequinade. This was a comedic play that had a, a standard plot without dialogue and it had lots of specific conventions that we won't go into. But fun grim fact, the Harlequinade is where we get the word slapstick from. Ooh, that's a good fact. So Harlequin is the main character in the Harlequinade. Yeah. He like slap, slaps a stick. He had a stick and it was used in the performance. Apparently it was slapped to cue scenery changes or it was used like you'd hit something to like change the scenery to like pull down the curtain or something. Right. So slapstick became associated with this kind of physical comedy of the Harlequinade. Wow. Grim that's fact. Cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's great. We're learning so much tonight. <laughs> I got so I I mean don't don't switch off the podcast if you're like what on earth's a panto. We got some more great facts coming. <laughs> you are gonna learn so much. <laughs> Get your notebooks out, listen carefully. <laughs> so from this sixteenth century Italian uh form of theatre developed into the Harlequinade in England, 
gradually then the classical Italian stories were edged out for the local English stories like Dick Whittington, mm -hmm. uh, Robin Hood, and then also from other fairy tales in general, which were well known, including the Grimm's, Perrault, and the 1001 Nights. So the traditional stories were replaced with these stories that were yeah. like put into this type of kind of comedic theater. Yeah. It continued to evolve and uh, gradually started to lose the elements of the Harlequinade and gain more the shape of the Panto that we know today. A big leap in its development was in 1843 when for the first time theaters without royal patronage were allowed to use dialogue so previously they weren't allowed to they weren't licensed to suddenly anyone could use dialogue in a play that's when it gets inundated with all the wordplay the innuendo all the spoken conventions that we know now come from post 1843 wow yeah so it Wait, was all so it was all kind of physical comedy before so, uh, before then it was just mimes unlicensed plays were just mimes that's my impression that's what i wow. understood i might be wrong but that that is what i understood that's interesting. yeah there was definitely some sort of ban or licensing issue with using spoken word in theater and it was mid mid 1800s yeah 1843 yeah wow side note this this may blow your mind or you may already know it we're going to slightly okay. deviate here. So that was 1843, okay. yeah? The 1840s was the decade where, basically, the modern Christmas was invented. Did you know this? Oh, I didn't know this. So within the, that decade, the 1840s, A Christmas Carol was published by Charles Dickens with Scrooge. Right. The first ever Christmas cards were used and made. Wow. Christmas crackers were invented. What? And the Christmas tree became a thing. No way. And also here, as we see, pantomimes took this leap forward and they're associated with Christmas now. Wow. Did you not know that? No, I didn't know it all happened in the 1840s. I mean, you would have hated to have been a kid in the 1830s. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, come on. Now you invent this stuff? Oh, in the 1830s, you don't know how bad we had it. You get a 20 minute break from like sweeping chimneys. Yeah. Get given a stick and told to slap stuff with it. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> wow that's, a, that's a, yeah. anyway yeah so there you go back <laughs> we're basically at the end uh pantomimes continued to develop through the victorian period and eventually they became these huge spectacles they gained in such popularity that by 1900 uh at the Dr drury lane theater the home of panto the annual pantomime production cost around ten thousand pounds to put on wow uh so yeah that's it uh, at its simplest, really. That's that's the history of pantomime. This was a whistle-stop tour through <laughs> the history of pantomimes. That is fascinating. It's funny to think that if it, it had this sort of uh, Italian sort of origins, that it, where it found its home is, is Britain. Yeah. Because it's not, like, as you say, mm -hmm. I don't think France, Germany, Spain, I don't think these countries have histories of pantomime. It's, it's, it's a British thing. Yeah, it really is. It's a very... Dis distinctly british form of theater but i think you know there's so there's so many offshoots it's because it's it's like it's popular theater as in of mm. the people it's not like high art it's low art and like folk tales you get different versions cropping up in different countries you can like they kind of develop differently but yeah pantomime is what emerged here yeah i also thought it was fascinating that once again like fairy tales the european fairy tale we we go back to 
Basile and Straparola, it goes back to Italy. A yeah. lot of this culture is... Uh, a lot of roads lead to Italy. All roads lead <laughs> to Italy. <laughs> that was uh, amazing. And at this point, I can barely remember what story we're reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's nighttime. I have no idea what time it is. <laughs> it's an absolute mess. <laughs> I don't even know what oh, year it is. Oh, dear. Well, I think we, sh- we should score something. Score time. Score time. If I can remember the story. The three so sons of fortune. The three sons of fortune. So from from the three sons of fortune to uh, the history of pantomime. Yeah. You didn't think you'd end up there tonight, did no, you? No, that's quite a journey we've been on via Dick Whittington. Yeah, we've been on a massive journey tonight. So, arbitrary score time. I don't know what to make of this one. I really don't. You seemed a bit disappointed. I was a bit disappointed. I mean, it's got a cat in it. We've had a few cat ones recently. I love a, I love a cat one. Yeah. I love a mad one. I love a cat one. <laughs> if I get a mad cat one, that's just, oof, creme de la creme. Creme de la cat. I, yeah, it just, it has a story. Because that's what we're really scoring these as, stories. And as a story, do you not think it was a little bit lacking? It was just a bit disjointed. It had mm. a it had a an epilogue mm. tacked on the end mm-hmm. with a with a cat and a palace being mm-hmm. bombed, cannoned. I d- I don't know because I I think it's interesting because I think my when I read this for the first time my I wasn't actually that blown away. I can admit that now, but yeah, you know, okay, on good. on reading it again and thinking about it, I'm like, well, it's got everything there. It's got yeah. so much. It's got an adventure. It's surprising. There are people harvesting stuff with cannons. There's a, a. I mean, that is the true. whole cat thing at the end is is it's great, and then they burn the palace down and the cat escapes. So I was kind of fully, fully expecting you to really enjoy that story. Yeah, because on on paper it's got so much going for it, but it didn't mm. doesn't jump off the paper. Maybe is what you're suggesting. Well, maybe. I mean, when you you listed some of the the elements there, and it yeah, those are pretty great. It's quite whimsical. It's quite a whimsical story. I think I was. With a title like The Three Sons of Fortune, and with some of the stories we've had in the past, I was expecting perhaps a more epic adventure. Whereas yeah. we got the three sons, they go off and do X, Y, Z, one at a time. Mm. But that was it, that was relatively formulaic, and nothing really came of it. It's like, they mm. went to do a deal, they did the deal, they came back rich. Mm. The next one went along. you know, And then mm-hmm. at the end, we'd go meet up with the cat. Mm-hmm. Arc-wise, there wasn't really anything mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. as a story, as a narrative. Mm-hmm. It was just more of a, hmm, but with some fun details in it. That's kind of my thinking. So what do you reckon for a score, then? Score, then? Oh, this is tricky. Hmm. I'm going to give this one a six. A six, okay. Yeah. That's a fair score, I think. I think that sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah. I think the fact that you are so disappointed when it is a story about a kingdom going to war against a cat because they're scared of it meowing yeah. and you've still yeah. gone low has has shocked me. Um, sure. 
because you you love cats. I love. It's cats. a little bit like Godfather Death. You love. You normally love a mad one. That was a mad one. Yeah. Low score. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be a bit more generous. I'm thinking a seven, maybe a six point five. I'm gonna go seven. Okay. So a whole seven. a point higher than you. But I do. I do hear you. Like. Because what you're saying is the three brothers thing going off to seek their fortune is kind of like the gold table, the wishing ass, the cudgel and the sack, right? Yeah. That was one of my favorite stories we've ever done. But that, yeah, that was fantastic because that, yes, it had that formula of three brothers going off one by one, mm. but they had these narrative arcs that met up at the end and there was a payoff mm -hmm. and it was a proper adventure. That didn't happen here. 6.5. You're going down to 6.5? 6.5. You convinced me. Wow, okay. Yeah. So that's, what's that, a 12.5 out of 20? That's quite low, isn't it? Might go back up it's to 7. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Stand your ground. I, I, yeah, I think we need to cut our losses here. Onwards and upwards. So it's a 12.5 for the three sons of fortune. That feels low. That maybe feels a that's bit too low. low. Hmm. Nah, it's fine. Well, we'll find out what the, the what the listeners think. We'll get lots of angry letters. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, As ever. What have we got next episode? What, what have we got lined up? Next episode, Adam, we will be reading... It's not a spoiler to say this. The truly epic tale, The Fisherman and His Wife. Oh, Okay. Got me jazzed for this one now. I'm excited. Bring your rods and your wellies. <laughs> oh, can't wait. <laughs> meet me around the fire for that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> the fisherman and his wife. Looking forward to it. Yeah, can't wait. Uh, until then. Keep it grand. Bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash grimreading to find out how and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us. You can, of course, email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at grimreadingpod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook at grimreading. You can find us on Podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading, and we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim.